You know, I'm always amazed. I, I actually found a, a picture of a spider web here. I think they can get it up for us here. Um, this one has a bunch of dew drops on it, which is interesting. And, but the interesting thing about a, a, a spider web is I'm always amazed at the intricacy of it. Every spider has a different pattern. Some have patterns, some don't have patterns. They're just kind of sporadic. But the thing about spider webs is this. They're incredibly effective at catching bugs, right? They, they catch bugs really well. They're, they also have a secondary effect, very effective method. They have very effective method or they have a very effective effect upon catching people off guard. How many of you ever get creeped out by spider webs, cobwebs? You're walking along, all of a sudden one hits you in the face. Or maybe those, um, I don't know if you saw them this year or not, we saw them I think last summer, the, uh, the little silk worms that hang from the trees and you're walking along and they get in your face and a little creepy, aren't they, right? But is, you know, the whole thing about spider webs is, and if I can put that picture back up again, is, is they're inter, it's interconnected. All of those little pieces are all connected to each other. They're all, they're, they're very, they, they're networked together in a very effective way that if you were to break a few of those outer strings, the web becomes nothing. The, the spider's web now becomes a cobweb. That's the difference between a spider's web and a cobweb is that uh, a cobweb is a spider's web that is no longer of use. It's, you know, if it's been broken, if it's been hacked, if it's been slashed, usually spiders will abandon it and start a new one. But sometimes we feel a little bit like this, this spider web. We're, you know, we go through life and we're incredibly connected with friends. We're connected to people around us, you know, and, and we're, we're feeling, yeah, this is good. This is really good. Life is good. And then all of a sudden something happens. Maybe something like a pandemic. We get self-isolated. Or maybe somebody or a job change. Or maybe um, somebody says something to us, or we have to move, or whatever, and all of a sudden, one of those lines get cut. Or two or three of those lines get cut. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, we feel like a, we feel like a cobweb, unused, abandoned, and flapping in the wind. And we're going, has God, has everybody left us? Has God left us? And we feel totally disconnected because of, of the, our circumstances or because of things that go on around us. And you often sometimes even go, well, where do I fit? How do I fit into this? Where do I fit into this, in this body? Where do I fit into the world? And, and I mean, you may, have, you, know, you may have everything going for you. You may have finished your education. You maybe have a job. You may have a, a family and all that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, things change. There's a, a seismic shift in your life. And you're going, I don't know what to do. Where do I fit? I feel disconnected. You feel like a, a cobweb just blowing in a gentle breeze, waiting for the last string to be cut, cut off. Yet, we need, oftentimes, we need to go back to the fact and realize that we are not abandoned. We are never abandoned, never abandoned by God because God redeems us. Unlike a cobweb which cannot be reused, God does choose to use us. He chooses to redeem us even no matter how disconnected, how broken, how failed we are, God will reuse us and He will redeem us 
through himself. And we just celebrated communion, the gift that God gives to us, this aspect of being redeemed. But more than that, God wants us not just to be connected to him, but he wants us to be connected to the body. He wants us to be connected to one another in a very deliberate and effective manner. It's just not random. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but Jesus had a very, had a very much a, a planned ministry when he walked on the earth. When he went through his three, three and a half years of ministry, he was very deliberate, very strategic about what he lived and how he lived his life. Um, if you ever want to study on that, it's an amazing study to see how strategic, how deliberate Jesus was in the three and a half years of his, of his ministry. The, the Bible kind of outlines it there if you dig into it. I, I've done a couple of different studies on it, and it's an amazing study to look at how deliberate Jesus was at, at carrying out all that God had called him to do. Because at the end... Before he died on the cross, in the garden, the last night, he said to the Father, Father, I've completed everything you've asked me to do. I've, I've done it all. And the way he went about it was very strategic. And if we look throughout the scriptures, we see one of the ways that we see that is that he carried out what, what's called, he had five different ministry opportunities or five different ways he ministered to people. And it's often people call it APEST, which stands, the, it's, it's an acronym for, the, the, uh, for a, a being apostle, P being prophet, um, E being evangelist, S being shepherd, T being teacher. Jesus was fulfilled all five of those roles. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, this is what Jesus gives the church. These gifts. These five-fold gifts. And so that's what we're going to do a look at today. Now, we're going to do, a, we're going to s s go so fast through these that I'm not even going to do justice to any one of them. But, but it's important that we understand all of them and how they work together. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul says this. He says, but to each one of you, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. In other words, Jesus has given certain gifts to everyone 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 that's here everyone that's watching online everybody who's a follower of Jesus there are certain gifts that have been given you have received a gift from Jesus in verse 11 Paul says this so Christ himself gave and then this is what these are the five five gifts that he the five gifts to the church he says Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Those were the five functioning roles that Jesus carried out and fulfilled while he walked on the face of the earth. He fulfilled all five of them. Now, I don't think there's anybody here that has all five of them. I don't have all five of them. You may have one kind of as a primary one and you may have a secondary one, but nobody has all five of them except Jesus because that's the completion of it. And, and, and as we look at this, you'll understand how they're interconnected. So Jesus gives these five gifts to the, or these five gifts to the church. And so like I said, we're just going to do a real surface skim over them. And I'm not, and you probably will have all kinds of questions about them. And that's good because that'll just force you to go in and start digging up through the scriptures about what these gifts, how these gifts really operate and what they really mean. The first one, the gift that Jesus gave the church was the gift of the apostle. 
Now, we often think that the apostle is only the 12 disciples. It's not just the 12 disciples. There are many people who have the gift of, of, of apostleship. And basically, the word apostle means this. It's an envoy, someone, a sent one. One who is sent out, a carrier of good news, a one who is sent out and has a passion to start new things, um, who, who, who goes out and, does, and, and inter- connects with new people in new places, that is an apostle because that's what the, the, that's what the apostles did. And feel free to go deeper onto this, into this area, because it's important that you understand this gift. Because it may be a gift that God has given to you. Now, often we think of apostles as being bold and, you know, fearless. And they may be, but not always. They may be very unassuming. Because people with the gift of apostleship may work behind the scenes in significant ways to get things done. Apostles often see the bigger picture, the bigger vision. They may serve in neighborhoods or community organizations. They may start new things. They may be innovators, creators, um, organizers, people usually of faith who have the desire to see things happen, to go places, to create new ministries. That is the gift of apostle. And Jesus says he's given them to the church. Some of you may have that gift. So let me ask you this question, and I'm going to have, ask, kind of end each of these five gifts with a question. Do, is this something that resonates with you? Do you have an idea that is out of this world that is something new? Do you have this desire to start something new or to be innovative or to be creative? Not necessarily always to lead it, but you just have this idea that God is doing something and you want to, that you're thinking God wants that this should happen. Then you might have the gift of apostleship. The second one is the gift of prophet. This is a God-focused person. Not that others aren't God-focused, but these ones have, is a more the connection between God and, and people in, in a unique way. These kind of people are these, this is, and I've struggled with this because often our idea of a prophet is somebody who's wearing a long robe and a sash and eats crickets and, and, and honey, right? I mean, that's our image of, you know, kind of the John the Baptist kind of guy or, you know, Jeremiah who's proclaiming all kinds of stuff and gets run out of town or what. I mean, those are the kinds of ideas of who a prophet is. But a prophet is not really, we look at the, in the New Testament, a prophet isn't really that. A prophet is someone who comes alongside and challenges somebody. I want that to rest in. I, I, and and I, I may be a weak definition, but I think that's the easiest. That comes alongside somebody and they, they, have a dis, they have a discernment or an understanding of what's going on in a situation or in a person's life. And they come along often and they challenge. Not only challenge, but sometimes they may not challenge. God may call them to pray. And so even intercessors may be prophets because God gives them the understanding on how to pray. Prophets often have a sense of of what God is doing in someone's life and come along. Now, we often think of prophets as being insensitive and kind of, you know, pounding and that kind of stuff. That may or may not always be the case because God does tell us to speak the truth in in, is to speak the truth in love. So that's, if you're, a, if, 
you're kind of a get or done, just lay it out on the line, you may need to ask, learn a little, ask the Spirit to develop the love aspect in your life. But that might be what a prophet is. A prophet is not always somebody who knows the future. They often know what's going on in people's lives in a discerning way. They often make us uncomfortable because they do speak the, the truth. They often look through a different lens. So are, and, and, and sometimes prophets have pictures or images or words or um, understanding of, of circumstances or of people that maybe most other people don't ever get. And as I said, maybe they have this huge passion to pray. Not necessarily confront somebody about something, but to pray. Prophets are always subject to prophets, the Bible says. And so we have to be careful that we just don't stand alone. And oftentimes when it comes to these gifts, you know, apostle will declare themselves to be the leader or the prophet will come over here and declare the leader, but they don't often work together. Is that something that resonates in you? Do you have this kind of sensitivity, a passion to, for prayer or whatever? You might be a prophet. That might be one of the ways God is using you, the gift that God has given to you. The, the third one is the gift of evangelist. Now that one's a little easier to understand because, you know, it's, you know we can get a handle on that one a little bit easier because we, you know, we think of somebody like a Billy Graham or someone else and there's other people around. I know of a number of individuals that have that gift, kind of almost it's like a superpower in their life and how they can just share Jesus with somebody and the person just goes, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. But more than that, it's not always the people that are like that. It's other kinds of ways that God has given you a heart for lost people, for people that don't know Jesus, for people that you need to connect with, that, that need to connect with God. And, and, and you have this kind of gentle demeanor that can come alongside of them and, and share Jesus with them, not in a, in a shove-it-down-their-throat kind of way, but a very, a very, very gentle way. And people respond. Now, oftentimes people are afraid to exercise that gift because they don't want to be seen as the person that shoves the gospel down somebody's throat. But God is at work. He has people who are ripe unto harvest. The harvest is ready, Jesus says. But so many times we are hesitant about stepping out and believing. And maybe God has given you the gift of evangelism. I heard one person say that 10% of the church has the gift of evangelism. So we're 75, 80 people here, so there's, you know, we got, probably have at least one or two people here that, or more than that, I guess, maybe seven people here in this room that have it. Seven or eight people that might have it. At least. The fourth one is the gift of shepherding. And we're going, oh, okay, we can get a little bit handle on that. That's like pastoring. And we're going, that's not just like me as being the professional paid pastor, but it's the person who comes alongside, who cares for people. They're the compassionate ones, the ones that have the gift, you know, who are merciful and kind and gentle. And, and they come alongside and you love talking to them because they are always so encouraging. They always kind of have a word of encouragement or a word in, to say something nice to you and, you know, lift you up a little bit. 
They emphasize with, empathize with you and, and when you're struggling and when you're not going through bad. And, and, and if, that, if that's something you find yourself doing quite often, then guess what? That might be, if you have a huge compassion heart for people, you love to hear people's stories and long to help them and love on people, guess what? You may have the gift of shepherding. The last one is the gift of teacher. Again, that one's easy to understand because we all have sat in school and sat underneath teachers. But this is more a, a, a spiritual gift, not the, not the natural ability to teach or the, the, the natural ability that has been honed through education and practice. But this is a natural, a supernatural effect on us that all of a sudden we have this, this desire to go deeper into the knowledge of God and somehow that we want to communicate that to others around us and challenge them to grow and challenge them to, to sharpen themselves and challenge them to go deeper with Jesus. These people often can communicate incredibly well. They may be very eloquent or they may not be very eloquent because some of the, the, the most amazing preachers have been those that aren't the most eloquent. But somehow God's presence just rests on them in a very significant way. And God uses them. So, my question is, do you love to study the Bible and you love to share what you've learned? Maybe you have the gift of teaching. So when all five of the gifts are functioning and working together in a holistic way, it becomes incredibly transformational. Can you see how that might happen? If you think about the, you know, the, the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the shepherd and the teacher, how all five of those gifts, if they were working together, if they were all five working in, in harmony with one another, they were all submissive to one another and working in, in, a, in, a, in, in just in a, a very synchromatic kind of way, it would just it'd be a, an incredibly powerful functioning body and the interesting thing is when they all happen it is like Jesus is present they balance each other out they protect each other they keep different ones from becoming predominant and domineering upon the rest of the body and they give balance because the prophet can tell the apostle hey cool your jets don't get so excited we'll get to that God's got other things there's other things that's happening as well and the apostle may say to the, the shepherd hey we need to we can't just keep loving on people we need to be we need to be moving in this direction and the evangelist says hey don't just be focused on the people in the body we need to be focused on the community as well and the people that don't know Jesus and the teacher says look we can't just do all that we got to go deeper but sometimes those we there's this aspect that that some of them become more dominant predominant and they take over and they become the focus because that is the gift of the the predominant leader that's that's available but that's not how Jesus balances. Jesus says they all five of them have to work together. It's interesting to note that in the book of Acts, the apostles were not the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Go through Acts, have a look. Let me ask you this question. Which one or more of these five gifts do you have and have you been using? 
So we've talked about all five now. Which one have you been using or not using? Maybe you haven't even been aware that that gift is available to you or that maybe God has given it to you. So the next question comes up, why? Why has God given them to us? Well, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, he says this. He says, the reason the gifts were given was to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. To equip his people, that is the church, for works of service so the body of church may, so the body of Christ may be built up. The gifts are given not for us to leverage our own for our own benefit, to, to elevate ourselves, to make us more powerful or to make us everyone want to follow us or to be like us. No, they're there to serve the body, to serve the people around them. Paul says it's there to equip each other for works of service so that all of us can be doing what God has called us to do. It's like five fingers coming together. Now, it's very easy if you think about it that if you... How many of you have ever cut a finger or had a, a, a burned one of your fingers? How much of an impact does that have on the use of your hand? Pretty big, right? Especially a paper cut. Man, that, that, those can be brutal. I mean, there's just like blood everywhere and it's just so gross and it's so painful and they don't heal up very fast and you, you have to wrap it and you, you know, you pressure on it and all those kinds of things. And, 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 and when something burns, you know, when you burn a finger on a stove or a hand or something, I mean, it's incredibly painful and it's incredibly debilitating. And that's what happens when the church is missing one of the, one of the five members of the, of the of of the fivefold gist. It's like we're, we're missing. We got like a finger and a thumb. I mean, yeah, these two are good and they can do a lot of stuff. But how much more when you do all five together? As you reflect on your life, which of the five gifts have helped you? Well, probably you could say, well, yeah, teaching, pastoring, maybe evangelism, maybe somebody shared the gospel with you. But have you ever been impacted by the gift of apostleship or the gift of, of the prophetic gift? Which of the five gifts have helped you? Are, the, are there gifts that have not equipped you? And why have you not been equipped by someone using that gift? Is it maybe because you don't know anybody that has that gift? Or maybe you've not been open to somebody who has that gift? Those are great questions to think about because if they are interconnected and they're the gifts that God gave the church, then we need to look at all of them. And not only that, Paul goes on to say, it's not just to equip, the gifts were given to equip, but for the purpose, the end result was not just to equip people for service, but for even one further thing. Ephesians 4.13, he says this, it's to, for maturity. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Notice that he talks about, you know, reaching, reaching unity in the faith. There's a connectedness there. All, that's why they're, it's, it's to bring it together. It's not for everyone to, it's not for the prophets to work independently or the apostles to work independently or the evangelists to work independently. It's for everyone to work together. And as we work together, as we cross, are cross-connected to one another, we grow, all of us grow. 
not just the teachers, and they don't, they're not the only ones who teach us, but the prophets help the teachers to grow, and the apostles help the prophets to grow, and everybody helps each other to grow. These are his gifts. These are the gifts of Jesus to his church. And when that happens, there's an incredible balance, there's life, there's incredibly depth to the church, there's protection for the church, there's an, there's an incredible sense of humility and serving that takes place, the, out, the opportunity to, to serve beyond exceeds anything one has ever expected. It's Jesus walking in all his fullness. That's really what it is. It's Jesus walking in his fullness because Jesus is using all five of these gifts in a very powerful way in our lives. And so, as I said, if, if, we, lack, if we lack one of these gifts or we don't have certain gifts operating within the church, we become a very anemic, very sickly. Our body is, is, is often divided and, and there's bickering that takes place and there's anger and there's pain and there's all kinds of emotions that people experience that are kind of leaking out all over the place just as if you cut off, as if you hurt one of your fingers. And the church becomes blind. And as I said, one side takes control and one gift becomes predominant and it's, it's the most important gift mostly because that's the gift of the, the predominant leader. When I was 16, I remember getting my driver's license and me thinking, oh, I've arrived, I'm mature, I can drive. And then I remember when I graduated from high school, I'm going, I graduated, that's awesome. I actually graduated one semester early. So I finished at the end of January. I didn't have to go all the way till June. I was done at the end of January. I mean, that, I, I, was, I was pretty smart, right? Mature. But then when I went to college, all of a sudden I realized how much I didn't know. And when I graduated from college, I thought, oh, you know, I got a degree. I'm a somebody now. And then I got into my first church and I realized how much I didn't know because there's all the things they don't tell you in college, Right? And that's like any, any kind of a thing. And then, you know, when you're serving in a church, and I was pastoring my own church and, and leading it and leading an elders board, and, and, and then I went into a multi-team role, and then I went into a, you know, various multi, multi-staff situations and then ended up in a, in a larger church, you know, five, six, seven hundred people. And, and again, so many things I had to learn. You know, the interesting thing is I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I, I, I got so much more to learn. There's, I listen to people on podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. I listen to them and I'm going, oh man, I, I know nothing. All those years of experience, all those things I've learned, and there's so much more to learn. And maturity comes as we, as we continue to submit ourselves under the authority of others and allow them to speak into our lives allow other people with different gifts than us speak to us and encourage us and help us. And so you may say, well, you know, I don't know what gift I got. I don't know what I have. Maybe I don't have any gifts. No, you have a gift. You have at least one gift. Guaranteed. 
So the question is, what gift do you have? And the person that knows the answer to that is not me, but it's Jesus. So ask him. Just ask him. Jesus, of the five gifts, which gift have you given to me? Think of it this way. A gift is not a gift unless it's, unless it's used. Right? A gift is not a gift unless it's used. I have an Amazon gift card in my drawer at home. And I'm thinking about, what do I want to use my Amazon gift card for? But it's not really a gift. It's just sitting in the drawer. I'm not even using it. But it will stay there until I decide what I want to use it for. And so God gives us gifts and we have to decide what that gifts are and whether we can use it for His sake and not for our own sake. We have to unwrap it and discover it and discover the different facets of it and the depth of it and the breadth of it and the width of it and, and the height of it. And we, I mean, There's so much more about that. And the gifts that God has given me, those are things that I'm beginning to still discover as I asked Jesus to help me discover it. So, I encourage you again, take a moment, ask Jesus what the gift is. Marcus Barth wrote this about the gifts. He said, the distribution of royal gifts and ministries such as Apest, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, is not a substitute for the Messiah's presence, but the mode of his being present. That's how Jesus is present in our midst. Is when we start exercising the gifts that God gives to us. That God has given not to us, but given to the church. So again, back to that question I've posed a number of times this morning. Which one or more of the five gifts do you have and are you using it? That's the question. And he's given you a gift. The question is, are you using it? Are you exercising it? Are you developing it? Have you discovered it? And how are you using it in conjunction with the people around you? How is it that connective, that spider web thing going on with the people around? How does that work? Because that's when you will learn your, your gift more than any other way is when you figure out how your gift is connected to the gifts around you. Maybe those that have the same gift as you, but also those that have different gifts than you. Because it's not just about you and your gift. It's about all the gifts and how they're interconnected together. Because that makes us strong. That brings the presence of Jesus in a very powerful way. Let's pray. Jesus, you love your church. Jesus, I love this church. This is an amazing group of people that you've brought together. So many different backgrounds, so many different places in our world, so many different avenues and, and histories and stories and ways in which you've worked in our lives. And God, you brought us together for the functioning so that we can be your presence, the presence of Jesus in this place.
in this community, in this neighborhood, in this city, touching the people around us like a cobweb with sensitive feelers out there just not to creep people out, Jesus, but just to, to be your presence and to do what you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, lead us. Lead us as we humbly ask you to show us the gifts that you've given to us. Which of these gifts have you given to everyone here in this room? God, you know what. You've maybe given them different ones, maybe more than one gift. And some gifts are stronger than others. But God, we want to do it even as you did, Jesus. You came in this world to serve, not to lead, but to serve. And Jesus, we want to come and do as you did. We want to serve with whatever gifts you've given to us. We want to offer them back to you. We want to offer them to this body, to these people that we sit around, to those people that are in our neighborhoods or that are around us. And we would say, Jesus, use us. Use us to serve as you did. And so, Jesus, we come humbly in your name. We pray these things. Amen.